Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church located in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you will hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now for a message from our Connections Pastor, David Nguyen. And now for a message from our discipleship pastor, Josiah Van Ravenhorst. So, I said this first service too, but I now know what Pastor Derek has to deal with whenever he comes up and transitions out of these videos. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world. Welcome to Celebration Church. My name is David, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at the church. As you may have heard from Pastor Derek earlier, uh, today will be a tag-teamed approach between Pastor Josiah and myself as we uh, share the message that we believe God put on our hearts. It's funny because we wrote our portions separately, but somehow during first service, it all came together like it was always meant to be. And so um, I hope today that you get something out of it uh, as you are with us today in person or online. Growing up uh, as an immigrant family, I had to learn two different worlds. In case you guys haven't noticed, I am Asian. If, if, if it's not obvious by how I look, maybe my accent might give it away for you. Um, but growing up, I had to navigate two different worlds. I had to navigate my cultural heritage and the American culture that we are now living in. I had to navigate a bunch of things. Growing up, I had to learn how to honor my elders. Um, a habit that I still have from time to time, you don't really see it uh, too much because the, um, the setting's not, not exactly the same. But we would always tilt our head down like this whenever we talk to someone who's older than us um, in reverence and honor of them. Here's another difference that I had to get over or learn very quickly. Everyone say yes. yes. All right. So yes in English is very proper, it's very appropriate, and it's very, um, I guess, formal. Uh, what is the slang of yes? Yeah, yeah. yeah right, yeah. Um, for me, Vietnamese culture, yeah is actually the opposite. Yeah is the most polite thing that you can say uh, at the beginning or at the end of a sentence. You can say, yeah. And that means, that denotes honor, it denotes reverence. So there was a lot of learning that I had to uh, partake in in my Vietnamese side. My American side, I learned that there's a lot of appliances that aren't utilized the same way. So here's an example. Um, how many of you guys have a dishwasher? Dishwasher. All right. Uh, what is a dishwasher used for? Washing dishes. One might think, right? One might think. In the Asian household, and you can Google this, uh, Asian dishwasher memes, right? In the Asian household, what you would use a dishwasher for is an extra pantry, an extra cabinet, places to store things that you don't normally store in American culture. So I actually got in trouble as a kid whenever I would place a dirty dish into the dishwasher. And you see, I didn't even know what the dishwasher was used for until I was in middle school. When I went over to a friend's house after dinner, I saw his mom loading up the dishwasher and I said, hold on, wait a minute, what are you doing? You can't do that. 
I got spanked for doing this. You can't do this. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, you're loading dirty dishes into the dishwasher. What are you doing? And she said, she looked at me with a very um, like inquisitive face. And she, she said, well, this is what you do with a dishwasher. And then she pushed the start button and the machine just started going. And growing up, I had always feared pushing that button because I had always thought that when I did, it would flood the house. And so I, when, when I got home, I rushed home and I told my mom, hey, mom, guess what? We're using this wrong. It's, it's not for uh, clean dishes, it's for dirty dishes. And she just looks at me with such a mom face, um, with such an Asian mom face. And she says to me, uh, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's, it's for the clean plates. It's for the clean plates. And so I had to do a lot of learning on my Vietnamese side, as well as my American cultural societal side. All of us are learning and growing, and that part of our life isn't new to us. We start learning and we start growing from the moments that we're born. When it comes to our faith, this process is called, uh, in learning, growing, and living like Jesus is called discipleship. That's what we want to share with you guys and talk about this morning. For me, the process of learning, growing, and living like Jesus has been a long journey. As some of you may know, I was born in Vietnam. Uh, my family and I grew up Buddhist. We grew up in a Buddhist home and an ancestral community. What that means is that the community that I grew up in had ancestor worship, right? And so we, that was our context, that was our community, that was our family. And so, one thing I didn't know, uh, and you guys may not know either because I didn't know, why would you know, is my family wasn't always Buddhist. You see, when France conquered Vietnam, they brought with them Catholicism. And so what I didn't know was my mom's side of the family actually grew up Catholic. They grew up knowing Jesus. She grew up knowing Jesus. She grew up learning about his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. She grew up knowing all of these things about the Bible, about Jesus. But somewhere along the way, when she met my dad, all the knowledge that was in her mind never seeped down to her heart. And so somewhere along the way, when they got married, my mom decided, let's, let's leave that behind me. And let's, let's adopt the family faith that my dad grew up in, Buddhism. And so our family became Buddhist. When I accepted Jesus out of high school, my mom finally shared with me this story. And you know, her faith story looks a lot different than my faith story. My faith story looks a lot different than your faith story. We all experience and encounter Jesus differently. The content, the substance might be the same, but the method in which we receive it may all be different. And so I want to encourage you today, no matter where you're at, no matter what you may think of yourself or where you're at in your faith, God has a role for us in his kingdom. Today, I want to take you through a story in the Bible whose community was so unique for how they all encountered Jesus differently. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Um, I love 
highlighting circle, uh, circling, marking up my Bible. So if you have a pen, a marker, whatever, feel free to take it out now. Uh, if you are able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And hint, anytime you see the word all in our passage today, just feel free to circle it. Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through, will carry to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Do you think he loves all of them? Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You guys can have a seat. Can you sense Paul's palpable love for this community? Not just one individual in this community, but the entirety of the Philippians. He loves this church. Out of all the letters that, pen, uh, that Paul pens to Ephesus, Corinth, Galatia, Colossae, Thessalonica, and Rome, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the church of Philippi, is the only letter of his work that bears no rebuke. It is the only letter that he doesn't bring correction or he, uh, adjustment to the community. It is all love. It is all love and how they got it so right. There's something undeniable about the church in Philippi, but the question is, what is it? Why does he love this church so much? What is so unique about this church that he has to write about them in such a way? You might think it's a love letter. It is so unique. What makes this church so special? Well, let me take you to the start of the church. And it doesn't start in the book of Philippians, but it starts in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Why does Paul love this church so much? Let me show you. At this point in Acts 16, Paul has been through the ringer. He's been blinded, uh, and his fate lies in the hands of the people who he's been mercilessly killing and hunting. He finds Christ, but is rejected and abandoned by the peers who he grew up religiously with for years, who he's been with for years. The people who he wishes to join don't want anything to do with him. They hate him. Why why would they? He's been killing their friends and their families. He finally finds a friend in Barnabas, and they travel across the region to spread the gospel only to further irritate the former religious friends who now want to kill him. Not only that, not only do they want to kill him, but they want to stir up the crowds in all the cities that they're going to so that the crowd kills him. He's always looking over his shoulders. Amid all these harassments, he gets stoned and dragged outside the city. But he's not dead. He gets up. He continues to preach. As Paul continues to travel and preach, he gets into an argument with his friend Barnabas, and they part ways. 
He loses what seems like his only friend. And at this point in Paul's ministry, he's been beaten up physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. But he continues. He eventually gets to the region of Macedonia where God stops him and allows the gospel to settle and spread like wildfire. And it begins with three different experiences from people who live in Philippi. And that leads me to the first point of today's message. The experiences are going to be different. All of these people had three different encounters, three different experiences in understanding and knowing and receiving the message of the gospel. All of these people received it in different ways. And so I want to encourage you, just because you've been doing something one way doesn't mean it's the only way. The message essence is the same. The method may be different. In Philippi, he encounters a woman named Lydia. As he preaches at the city gates, it says in the Bible that she is a dealer of purple cloth. This means that she's wealthy because purple is the color of nobility and royalty. So this, what this means is she's selling her merchandise to, to the wealthy and the powerful. But in her wealth and in her superiority, she sits at the gate and she listens to what Paul has to say. And, she, and it says in the Bible that she had her heart open to receive the message. Sometimes the gospel must simply be preached and shared. Sometimes the story that's written in, 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 this, in these accounts must simply be shared. Sometimes your testimony is enough to allow someone to see and experience the power of God. After Lydia, while Paul was still traveling around Philippi, he encounters a slave girl who is influenced by a spirit and manipulated by her owners to make them money. Notice what Paul does here, or what he doesn't do. He doesn't woo her, woo, uh, woo her with speech or eloquence. He doesn't give her a message. What he does is he demonstrates the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit by casting the demon out. Sometimes... The gospel must be spread through a demonstration of power and authority from the Holy Spirit. We must not fear different. Sometimes we're so caught up and stuck on the method that we miss out on the moment. Sometimes we're so caught up on, hey, this is how I ministered to my friend before, so this is how I should minister to this friend now. If, any, if anyone in here have, uh, has kids, children, they know that just because one kid receives, it, uh, receives instruction this way doesn't mean that the second one will receive it this exact same way. In casting out the spirit, Paul threw a wrench in the plans of those who had profited from the slave girl. These owners went to their government authorities with false, false accusations and had Paul and his friend and company, Silas, beaten up and thrown into prison. While in prison, they were tortured by a jailer whose only instruction were to guard them carefully. So the jailer took up extracurricular activity in torturing Paul and Silas, but Paul and Silas did not phase. It did not phase them, for it says that they began to worship through their torture. 
One night, a violent earthquake came out of nowhere and broke loose the, uh, the gates on the cells and the chains on their bodies. And the jailer woke up, and I can only imagine the fear that was going through his mind, his face, his appearance. Because if you guys know, in Roman culture, a jailer or a guard would be charged to guard the prisoners with their life. And if the prisoner were to ever escape, they would then take the place of the prisoner. Their life would be forfeited. And so the guard, uh, the, the, the guard was so afraid that he drew his sword and was about to take his own life. But out of nowhere, Paul and company yells out to him, and, and they say, stop, we're here. Can I tell you something? Sometimes all it takes is grace and mercy upon someone's life to allow them to hear and digest what God has been trying to share with them. Sometimes the gospel must be spread through a personal demonstration of grace and mercy. Because of this act of grace and mercy, the jailer came to know Jesus, and his family came to know Jesus. Sometimes we just need to put into practice what we know in our heads to our hearts and our hands and feet. The experiences are going to be different. People experience uh, Jesus differently, and they experience him in their own way. For some, it's intellectual. For others, it's through power. And still to the rest, it's through a demonstration of grace and mercy. The reason Paul loves this church is because of the vision of the church in his eyes has been radically changed and shaped by these people. He experienced how God moved mightily and differently through everyone and how they all responded to the gospel. It is not systematic. It is personal. It is not about a method, but about the heart motive. He, he loved this church because it helped shape what it means to be a believer in Paul's eyes. My mom knew the message. She'd been taught the stories. She'd, she'd learned about the death and the resurrection and the power and the miracles that were on display in the Bible. But still, that never moved from her head to her heart. But that's just one way to understand God through sermons, through stories. What about the other ways? I'm encouraged that what he has started in my mother has not ended. I'm encouraged because I truly believe that through my lifestyle and testimony of how I worship Jesus and how I end up raising our children might affect her. Maybe you're here today and you don't know all the answers. That's okay, but you have a testimony. Maybe you're here today and you're not the most outgoing person. That's okay, but are you bold in faith? Maybe you're here today and you don't necessarily have your life put together, but can your life tell a story to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say something is different about this person? Does your life reflect that? I want to encourage you all here today. We may all be different. 
And we may all experience Jesus in a different way, but we can all be a part of how God moves in his kingdom. The experiences are going to be different, but that's okay. That's why we have a diverse church. And so at this time, would you welcome up Pastor Josiah as he continues today's message? Thank you, Pastor David. Oh, man, what a privilege and an honor to share a stage with you and then Pastor Derek as well. And you all know that when you get three pastors with a microphone, um, things tend to go a little bit long. So my goal is to get you out of here at a reasonable time. But I do believe that God has given uh, me and Pastor David a word that is going to hopefully change our church, encourage our church, maybe even our state, nation, who knows, and I will let you all be uh, the judge of that. But yes, my name is Pastor Josiah. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Celebration. Uh, coming up on two years of being on staff here, which has been incredible getting to know some of you, all of you. Um, thank you. Yeah, give it up for me. Woo. But I've been a pastor for about seven years, um, and my thing is discipleship. I love to help people understand the Bible. I love to teach. I love to see people make new connections when it comes to how to live a life of faith based on scripture. And I feel like over the past seven years, I've done a pretty decent job uh, of being a discipleship pastor. But this last year of ministry uh, has revealed a few things to me that I want to share with all of you. First, is that it taught me I know less about pastoring, hurting, and lost people than I thought I did. I've also learned that making disciples is easier said than done, and it's messier than it sounds. This year showed me that if you don't have a broken heart for the lost, you probably aren't praying for lost people. I learned that I wasn't ready for the lifestyle that was required to truly impact lost people. And finally, I learned that this process will transform your heart more than it transforms others. So I've had a lot of moments like Paul had with Lydia that Pastor David was talking about in Acts 16, where he goes to a place of worship, he preaches a message, and people respond to the gospel. Like, it's a beautiful scenario, and we see that take place every single week here, um, and that's prob probably how you came to a place like celebration is because you had an experience with God. And, and so I have those experiences quite a bit as a pastor. Um, I have very few moments like Paul had with the slave girl and the jailer because he came face to face with evil and sin and darkness. And I'm a pastor, so I'm surrounded by Christians like most of the time. Most people I'm around already know Jesus. And so I have the, you know, demonically oppressed slave girl and suicidal jailer moments way less frequently uh, than the people like Lydia. It's just the way it is. But this last year, has taught me how unprepared I was for what God wanted to do in some people's lives. It showed me that I was not able to fully understand and how ignorant I was to some of the things that people were walking through in their life. And so my purpose and my goal for this message today is to help prepare our church for the new wave of discipleship that I believe is coming. I believe that God is going to send people to our church. He is going to send people who need the gospel to a church that's going to be ready for them. And I believe that that's going to take place here at Celebration Church. Amen? Yeah. So since being here, I have been astonished at how hidden our church is. Has anybody else had the experience where you're talking to somebody and they say, where do you go to church? And you're like, Celebration in Lakeville, Minnesota. And they're like, where? And you're like, 
just south of Buck Hill. It's on the freeway, and they're like, I don't know. And you're like, across the freeway from Harley-Davidson or Fleet Farm, up the street from Cracker Barrel, and they're like, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything over there. And you're like, Schneiderman's. Like, we literally are next to Schneiderman's. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know where your church is. And you're like, come on. I could not pick a more visible place in our state than where we are located. And for some reason, people are just blind to our church. It's, it's crazy. And one day um, we were having a staff meeting and we were praying. We had a, a moment of prayer and I felt the Lord gave me a prophetic word for our team. Um, and I'm going to read those verses that the spirit brought me to. So Isaiah chapter two, two through five. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to climb the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore." Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That verse, that whole concept of the light brought me to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about salt and light. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden unless it's celebration, apparently. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. And I felt like God gave me a word for our staff, for our church, that the bowl is coming off of the lampstand, that there has been a wall built around our church that has caused people to not see what is going on, that God is going to be removing and destroying, and people will begin to see the light of the gospel here at our church. I believe that this is something that we are experiencing now, and it is only happening because of God. It is not happening because we are smart. It is not happening because we're creative and charismatic and we're the coolest people in the world. Like It is happening because God has favor stored up for a people that is willing to step out in faith and in obedience to what he says. Amen? So it is nothing that we can accomplish. Our purpose, our job is to respond in faith. And I believe that he has favor stored up for our church when it comes to discipleship. I believe that he has favor stored up for our church who's going to be ready for a new wave of believers at our church. And so you may have heard Pastor Derek over the last six months or so talk about something called the first 30 or mentorship. And so I'm going to talk about what this new thing we've been kind of building uh, behind the scenes, what that's going to look like come this fall. Um, But I want to take you on a journey that some of our staff members and and myself have gone through as we've uh, really done whatever we could to develop something that our prayer and our hope is that it won't only just change our church, but it will change other churches around the country. Because Pastor Derek, he, he has influence within our state, but also our nation. And so he keeps coming back from these trips and he's like, hey, Josiah, when's that going to be done? And I'm like, ah, you know, we're figuring out. He's like, well, I got pastors from around the country waiting for you to finish because they don't have anything they want to use, so they're going to use what you got. And I'm like, okay, I guess we got to make this thing more serious than I initially thought. So uh, it's been fun to watch it get accelerated um, and God continue to give it favor and hopefully it will deliver on its promises. Um, But this whole thing was kind of 
birthed out of a question that Pastor Derek asked in one of his messages earlier this year. He asked our congregation, he said, what would we do if 100 or 200 new believers walked into our church? Would we be ready for them? What would we do? How would we handle something like that? And as the discipleship pastor, my ears perked up a little bit, and I thought to myself, I don't know. I would be freaking out if 100 people walked in and they're like, we want to know Jesus. Can you help me? I'd be like, all right, I guess we're having dinner at my house with 100 of you. No, it would not work. We were, we were trying to figure out how can we answer that question. And so that kind of confirmed a dream that me and Pastor David have had for our church, that uh, we are supposed to be a church that disciples new believers, not just attract new people, not just get people to fill out a connect card, not just get people baptized, because those are the things that every week he and I are thinking about, how do we make this happen, but how do we disciple new believers? That is what this is all about. And so the, the second point for today's message is that the process is going to be messy. The process is going to be messy. So we began to scheme and come up with some things and the form of my ministry started looking a little bit different than it did before because we started praying that God would send us people who we could personally disciple, that we would have the opportunity to experience people who didn't know about Jesus, who didn't know the Bible, and that we could personally walk them through what this looks like. So we'd have experience as we did this. And so Pastor Josh, the evangelist that he is, one day he found somebody and he met them at Starbucks, prayed for them, got their number, and he gave it to me and said, hey, you and Cassie should have them over. And we're like, all right. So we invited a stranger to our house and we got to hear their testimony, which was absolutely heartbreaking. They knew nothing about the Bible or about Jesus. And so we pastored them the best that we knew how to do. And so I had read in a book this analogy that I wanted to share with this person, um, and it went something along the lines of, if you had a rat in your kitchen, you would do whatever you could to remove the rat. And the same is true with our life and sin. If you have sin in your life, if there's evil and darkness in your life, you should do whatever you can to remove it. Because if you're like staring at a rat in your kitchen and you're okay with that, something's wrong. Like you call an exterminator, you get traps, you get poisoned, you clean everything. Like that rat should be dead. And so I share this analogy and they asked me a question that I wasn't ready for. They asked, what do I do if the rat is actually Godzilla and my kitchen has been completely destroyed and doesn't exist anymore? And at first I was patting myself on the back because I shared this really cool analogy, but then I realized this cute little analogy actually had no way to relate to what they were really going through in their life. And that's the moment that I realized that I know less about pastoring lost and hurt people than I thought I did. That there's so much more to it than just sharing something uh, that you think is awesome about God or about the world or about the Bible. So after this interaction that I had, God provided me two more opportunities with two different people to kind of experience the same thing. I developed a relationship with one person, a friendship, and we still meet to this day, but every time I talk with them, I share aspects of the Bible and about grace and about faith and about Jesus, but nothing seems to penetrate the hardness and, and just the, the lack of joy that they have because the world has beat them down time and time again so that their purpose and their hope in the future is gone. Another person began to take steps in their faith. 
They were doing great, but then something offended them and they completely rejected everything that we were trying to help them with. And there was misunderstanding, miscommunication. It turned discipleship, which should be a blessing, into a mess. And that made me realize that making disciples is easier said than done and it's messier than you thought it was going to be. And so these experiences, I prayed for them. I prayed that God would send these people to me And I guess I was expecting, not that I would be the hero of the story, but that I would be able to share the gospel and win them for Christ and and have them follow Jesus. But what happened was my heart was broken. My heart was broken because my inability and my, uh, my shortcomings caused them to not be able to experience the gospel. And I was like, what is wrong with this? What is happening? Why am I the one experiencing this? And tears were shed for those people. And my wife and I still pray for them almost every single night. And that's when I realized that if you don't have a broken heart for the lost, you're probably not gonna be praying for them. And so as we pursue discipling people, your heart is gonna be broken. But the response that we need to have is to pray for them. And so the third point is that lifestyle of a disciple maker is challenging. The lifestyle of a disciple maker is challenging. There is a huge difference between living the lifestyle of a Christian in America and living the lifestyle of a disciple maker in the kingdom of God. There's a big difference between those two things. And in a few moments, I'm going to talk a little bit about the first 30 and about mentorship, but I'm not going to pretend that it is the end-all, be-all to making disciples. It is just one option of an entire lifestyle that we need to adopt if we are going to be effective in the kingdom of God. And so a few months ago, I participated uh, in this discipleship-making lifestyle training that one of the local organizations uh, in our area was putting on. So Venture Expeditions is a local nonprofit that works in Southeast Asia, in Nepal and Burma and Thailand, and they they help um, rescue women from sex trafficking, they do uh, education on feminine hygiene, they provide meals through Feed My Starving Children, and they also have been part of launching hundreds of churches in Southeast Asia. Um, And so they have learned a thing or two from the global church about what it looks like to make disciples. And so they wanted to bring this content to America and teach some people how is it that we can maybe replicate that here in our churches. And they they shared a lot of information, but I'm going to just share the lifestyle that they talked about. Five things that they committed themselves to every single day and every single week. The first thing is that they committed themselves to spending at least one hour in prayer and reading scripture every day. And they said that that's actually on the low end. It was probably closer to two hours. They do a prayer walk in their community every single week, which means they go out in public and they pray that God would reveal people of peace to them so that they can express and communicate the gospel to them. They also committed themselves to eating a meal with one lost person each week, to serve one person in need each week, and then they would regularly meet with the individuals that they were discipling for Bible study and to teach them how to do the same exact thing. And now, this is not what I'm telling you you need to do. This is not supposed to be your lifestyle, but if we are to follow in the footsteps of people who are successfully multiplying disciples, making disciples, planting churches, maybe we should consider a few things, right? It's kind of nerve-wracking reading a list like that because I already know 
that it's difficult as it is to squeeze in my time of prayer and my version reading plan in the morning. It's difficult as it is for people to make it to church more than twice a month. It's difficult as it is to feed my own kids, let alone inviting some stranger into my house who lives a totally different lifestyle. Like those things, they're, they're a tall order. And you might look at these people and this movement and what people are committing themselves to and think they're taking things too far. They're the extremist Christians that we need to be afraid of. They are not good. But, but let's see what the Bible has to say. Let's see what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. And yes, we're going to read the whole entire chapter. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh-oh. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Now, Paul's just taking things too far, right? He is the crazy extreme one now, but it's almost like the global church got their practices and their lifestyle straight from Romans chapter 12. Be faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Live radically. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to pour ourselves out as a living sacrifice on behalf of someone else. This is what it looks like to be part of a Christian community. This is what it looks like to plant churches and to share the gospel and for people to come and experience Jesus. And I would encourage you at some point this week Read through Romans chapter 12 by yourself and ask yourself a few questions. What does this chapter say about Christian community? What does this require of me personally? And am I currently living this way? Be challenged by that this week. And so as we develop the first 30, 
uh, very quickly we realized that some component was missing, which was mentorship. There needed to be people who were walking alongside each other in this, because part of being a disciple of Christ is making disciples. But part of being a disciple is coming under the leadership of somebody else who's taken the steps that you want to take. And so we believe this is going to be a vital part of this entire process, mentorship. And one thing that I have noticed uh, is that many people in the church or on church staffs, they have a huge desire to preach, which I do too. Like, I want to preach. I love it. But preaching to a large congregation on a Sunday morning has turned into like the Super Bowl in the church world. Like you've made it if you get the pulpit. But if I'm honest, I see so much more value in you and your families sitting face to face with others and prayerfully responding to their needs and their victories. I see so much more value in the multiplication of ministry that can only happen when a body of believers is gripped by the gospel enough to throw themselves in the ring. Without the body of believers in the ministry of the saints, preaching is just shouting at the walls. And without a response of God's people, we might as well just be preaching to ourselves in the shower. But I believe God is waking up the church, our church specifically, to what God wants to do in people's lives. I believe that God is going to show up and show us incredible things. And I believe the fruit of that is going to take place by the intimate nature of the gospel being shared in coffee shops and McDonald's and cubicles. That is how it's going to happen. Because large gatherings, revivals, conferences, and church services They serve a purpose within the body of Christ. They serve a purpose in the church. But the substance of the gospel and the fruit of Jesus' ministry is really difficult to see when you're looking at the back of somebody's head instead of into their eyes. And so what we're going to do for the next few moments is you're going to turn to the person behind or in front of you, and you're just going to make uninterrupted eye contact with them for five minutes. No, we're not going to do that. You all were scared. I had to actually do that um, in a college class. They, it was a world religions class, and they said, you got to look at the person behind you. And I had this like big burly guy with a beard and tattoos, and I was staring directly into his soul for five minutes straight. I, I'm sure he remembers me too, just like I remember him. There's a bond that was created. But I am incredibly serious about God's people stepping up and offering their lives as a living sacrifice so that some other person can experience the transformation of the gospel like they have. And we each have something to offer. We each have a different way we're going to provide ourselves as a living sacrifice. But we don't do that because God is somehow deficient. We don't offer ourselves because God absolutely needs us to. But we do it nonetheless because there is someone in your life who is going to be blessed because someone who followed Jesus decided to step onto the cross instead of staying on their throne. Because someone who follows Jesus decided to leave a little margin in their schedule rather than consuming every moment in their life for themselves or their pleasures or their comforts or their retirement funds. Because someone who follows Jesus was willing to look into the eyes of a fellow image bearer of God instead of avoiding eye contact in an uncomfortable way. Because someone who follows Jesus finally realized the call to humble themselves as the servants and the stewards of humanity by kneeling down and washing somebody's feet who might actually ridicule them instead of getting offended that an unbeliever in the world is acting like a lost sheep. That is why we do these things, because Christians have to start acting like Christ. 
Christians have to represent Christ. Christians have to live and do what Jesus commanded us, which was to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them what it looks like to live under the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to do, and that is why we gather in a place like this, to make disciples and to glorify Jesus. And so like I said, first 30 in mentorship is not the end-all be-all, but this is what my hope is, that we can at least get a start at our church, that we can try something different, try something new, and see what God is going to accomplish. And I have a vision to see the first 30 uh, in mentorship reproduced in other churches in our denomination, uh, in other churches in our country, churches in other denominations, house churches, mega churches, I don't know. And you might think that's too big and that's arrogant, but uh, I believe that God can do it. And, and the fourth point is that the outcome is determined by God. Yeah. It is not determined by me. It does not matter how hard we work or all the things that we do. God is the one who makes it grow. It is submitted to him, and he is going to accomplish whatever it is that he wants to yeah. do. Yeah. But the thing that I love about the God that we serve is that he invites us to participate with him. That there is room for our mistakes. That there is room for our incompetencies. There is room for our abilities and the things that we can contribute. And he wants to use every single one of us to accomplish that. And so on September 17th, celebration, we're going to launch new community groups. And for the first time, we're going to launch a mentorship program with the first 30 discipleship. And I'm super excited to see what happens I, I, I'm a little nervous, and it would be a little bit of an embarrassment if on September 17th we launch, things go live, and there's like one person waiting in the trenches for somebody. It would also be embarrassing if we had like dozens of people ready to go, and we're like, all right, open up the floodgates, and God's like, nope. But here's the thing. I'm not going to worry about either of those scenarios. Because it is up to God to put it on our hearts to step up to become mentors. It is also God's responsibility to put it in people's hearts and to draw them here, to break down the walls around our church and help them see the light of the gospel. My prayer is that both of those scenarios will not come true because he will prompt people within our church to mentor and he will prompt believers to come and be mentored. That is my goal, and my belief. And I believe that God has favor stored up for a church that's willing to build something in faith even though they only have a few raindrops as evidence for the flood that's coming. I believe something is gonna be coming to our church very soon. And so my hope is that you are dying to know what mentorship is gonna look like. That's my prayer and that's my hope and the looks on your face shows me that I'm ready to keep going. So First 30, uh, it is a resource that we have been developing um, for anybody who wants to know more about Jesus. They don't even have to be a believer. And we tried to do our best to remove all of the Christianese and the jargon and the things that might confuse people. Um, it is still a confusing book, so it happens nonetheless. But we have picked 30 different topics that we think are vital for somebody as they're starting their journey with Jesus talking about the, the major themes in the Bible, the spiritual formation that takes place when you spend time with Jesus, his different teachings, what it looks like to have an identity of a Christian and to follow Christ. And then our ultimate goal is that people would read this and get baptized. They would get baptized understanding exactly what it is this decision makes, what it requires them, and who they are going to become. 
And so on September 17th, we will have kind of First 30 2.0 ready for people. Our goal is to have hundreds of copies ready for whoever wants it um, so that you can give them out and hand them out and do whatever you got to do. But I want everybody to be on the same page as much as possible about what is it that we're trying to accomplish here. And so mentorship uh, is going to be a 30-day commitment between a mentor and a mentee. Just going through the First 30 discipleship resource one topic at a time spending time with each other, texting as much as they can. Um, and the one, I guess, requirement that we have is that people in those 30 days sit face to face at least three times. That is where this is gonna be the most important, is when you can actually relate to somebody, connect with them, and see them eye to eye and face to face. So I know that might seem like a big commitment, 30 days of intensive relationship with another person, but we did just kind of talk about giving yourselves as a living sacrifice. So like, I'm not gonna expect that that's too crazy and too hard to believe. But Pastor Derek, he provided a really helpful analogy at a men's, uh, men's breakfast a few months ago where he compared a new believer uh, to a newborn baby. That that baby needs someone to feed it and hold it and love it and sometimes change its poopy diapers, yeah. right? So if you are going to be a mentor, you are signing yourself up to take care of a newborn believer, somebody who will need you, somebody who is going to have questions, somebody who is going to have tears and losses and victories, and they're not gonna know exactly what this whole thing is gonna look like. It is gonna take way more effort on the mentor side than the mentee side. And it's just the way it's gotta be. It's gonna be uneven. It is a commitment and a sacrifice that you are gonna have to make on behalf of somebody else because those 30 days of somebody, of a baby being born, it will make or break their life moving forward. And so we wanna be there and we wanna be present as much as we possibly can. And I'm also comfortable knowing that most people are not gonna be ready to make this commitment. I'm very comfortable knowing that. And if that is you, there is no pressure and there is no, uh, I'm not offended in the least because this is a tall order. This is something uh, that not everybody is going to be ready for. And I also know you guys are in many different areas of the church where you feel like you're operating in your gifts. So I'm comfortable for the people who the Holy Spirit prompts to raise their hand and jump in on this. So who can be a mentor? Um, Pastor David said it earlier, everybody has a story to share. But specifically for what we're doing here, um, if you are a partner or an official member of our church, you can be a mentor. So if you've gone to Next Step, if you filled out the application, if you've had your application approved by the board and you've done what you need to do to show that this is your church home, that you are committed to this place, be a mentor. You absolutely can. And so to be a mentee, somebody who has a mentor, we are going to say that is for people who are within their first year of following Jesus. You've made that decision and in your, you're in your first year just trying to get ready or for somebody who's rededicated their life but they really need individual help with their faith. And so we have the right to change any of those definitions but that's kind of what we're gonna be launching with in the meantime because we want it to be really specific for the people who need it. And so if you are somebody who does not necessarily fit into either of those categories, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what am I doing here today? Um, shame on you if you're thinking that, but I'm glad you're here. And there is something that you have, uh, a privilege and an opportunity that you have that is equally as important. And that's to pray. 
to pray from a broken heart for people who need Jesus, to pray that people would begin to see our church and see and come, and they would go to the, uh, the house of the Lord to be instructed and to learn and to grow. If you have people in your life, bring them. If you have people in your life that you know who need Jesus, pray for them. That is a responsibility that we all have. There are many members, many parts to the body of Christ, and we all have things to contribute. And so on the screen behind me, you'll find two different QR codes. If you are a partner and you would like to be a mentor, fill that out. And if you are a mentee, uh, fill that out as well. And our hope is that September 17th, we're able to launch uh, and eventually see hundreds of people come and be discipled, as Pastor Derek was saying. How would we accomplish that? And I believe that this is one way that we're gonna make it happen. It comes by the face-to-face, in-person, one-on-one interactions between people who follow Jesus for a long time and people who need an example to follow. So if I could have you all stand up at this time, we're gonna end today's service in just a moment, and I am very comfortable having kind of a clunky end to a service like this because we're not gonna end in worship, we're not gonna end with a big altar call. I want the next few moments to be an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you, to either speak encouragement and confirm that yes, this is for you, or also speak to you and say, this is not for you just yet and that's okay. But my goal is that we are gonna pray and we are going to uh, leave here with an answer from the Holy Spirit, amen? So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom, that we get to be a part of your plan for humanity. We thank you for the relationships that you are already starting, that you are about to get ready for the new people who do not know you. They do not know what is coming for them, Lord. And I pray that you would just prepare our church to receive these people, receive those who are seeking you, receive those who are in desperate need of you, who have questions and who are broken and hurting. And God, I pray that you would humble us, that we would submit to you, and that we would do whatever it is that you are calling us to do. So Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the favor that you have stored up. I pray for the wave of discipleship that's going to come. And I pray, Lord, that the bowl will be taken off the lampstand and that you will be glorified in doing that. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or the 10th time, reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week.